This week's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you once again by Thrive Fantasy. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top tier athletes in a respective sport. If you're using it for the NBA, choose 10 out of the top 20 player prop options to build your lineup. They also have MLB, PGA, and eSports. In those, you're going to choose 5 out of the top 10 player props options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. So, you can rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Also, with the PGA, Thrive has new contests for each day of the tournaments. A Thursday only, a Friday only, so on and so on. So, don't sweat your golfers ruining your weekend by not making the cut. Thrive has awarded over $1.3 million in prizes since launching all the way back in 2018. Now, you're probably thinking, can I get involved? What do I need to do now? So, you're going to go to Thrive Fantasy Sports on the app and use promo code SACK, that's S-A-C-K, when you sign up today and you receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or visit their website www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Now hit that ish. And sorry, I knew you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. How do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. It's been a couple weeks since I've gotten an episode to you. I apologize for the gap in episodes. Had a few things going on, but needed to get back in front of the microphone for you all. I had uh, some people reach out to me asking, when's the next episode? When's the next episode? So needed to do that for you all. On this episode, we are going to keep it sort of kind of brief. We have the mail sack that is going to open the show as it usually does in the first segment. Then we're going to talk some NBA and some college football to put a little bow on today's episode nothing gonna be too crazy gonna be probably a brief episode but like I said needed to get something out for y'all because I have been hounded to get something out for you all so without further ado let's get right into things and let's start this episode number 71 of Carson Sack podcast with the mail sack before we do that I need to remind all of you all please continue like, rate, review, subscribe, all of that other good shit that you all continue to do on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you just so happen to get your podcast and continue to like and share the tweet when I do put it out tomorrow and show your friends, family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, whoever you might want to share uh, Carson Sack with. It helps a lot to grow the audience and get new listeners, so thank you very much. Our first question for the mail sack comes from Davis Cannabell, who asks, DJ the frontrunner for the U.S. Open? He follows up with, and do you think with these Europeans playing so much in the U.S., they hold an advantage for the upcoming Ryder Cup? Okay, 
Let's address the first question. Dustin Johnson this past weekend at the Wyndham Championship posted a 30 under in his four round total. 30 under par. That is ridiculous. It's the second lowest score ever for a tournament. Dustin Johnson right now, I think definitely needs to be considered the front runner for the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. The way he has played uh, since his 80s at the Memorial, he withdrew from the Memorial, excuse me, his 80s that he had um, the turn before the Memorial, and then his play in the PJ Championship, granted he did falter a little bit down the stretch, not able to close out what he had done in the first couple rounds in the PJ, sort of didn't post a good score in the fourth round, but overall, the consistency he's shown since then, going back to... This past week with the 30 under combined in his four rounds for the tournament and how well he's probably going to continue to play throughout the rest of these golf playoffs. I do like him a lot for Wingfoot. You're also he's always going to be near the top because he is such a good player. Regardless, he has a great track record in U.S. Opens. Won one of those already has been in contention in multiple ones before. So. Yes, DJ is going to be right up there uh, as one of the front runners for the U.S. Open in a couple of weeks. Then to address your second part about the Europeans playing so much in the U.S., I think I don't think it's going to have that much advantage that you might think because all of these venues with the Ryder Cups, the host country, which obviously is going to be USA. They get to decide how the course is going to be laid out and set up, if the greens are going to be a bit lo- little bit slower or faster, if rough's going to be grown up or mowed down, things like that that are really going to be able to give that their team an advantage. You saw it back in France the last time there was a Ryder Cup where they sort of tightened the fairways, grew the rough up a little bit, and put a premium on accuracy, which the USA team didn't really have. They were able to hit the ball a dick year, but the accuracy and the strength of the European team was that they could drive the ball well and they weren't going to put themselves in bad spots and the course setup really helped and played to their advantage. So I don't think it's normally going to be that big of an issue if they're going to be able to play a lot here um, in the st- in the States just because I think the venues change so much. Yes, you could become sort of accustomed to the more um, Americanized style of courses, um, if you want to even call it that. But ultimately, I do think that the USA team is going to have more of an advantage. And the European team, I don't think they're going to be at a disadvantage, but I don't think it plays that big of a thing into the ultimate uh, deciding factor for the Ryder Cup. Next question comes from Ryan Moore, who asks, should Joe Ellen Bede ask for a trade? No, not yet. I think this coming season that's going to happen next year um, with the new coach that the Sixers are more than that they have to bring in because Brett Brown was fired. I think if about halfway through the year or three-fourths of the way through the year, if the Sixers are still struggling with the new coach and the Embiid and Ben Simmons situation still seems unsalvageable, which their games really don't complement each other all that well to begin with. Uh, Ben Simmons really needs somebody that when he's driving to the hole, he can kick it out to, and Embiid is really just this guy that he's worked on his three-point shooting, but no one really fears him from behind the arc. 
if that situation is not cleared up, then I think you will see the 76ers move on from one of their players, and I ultimately think it is going to probably be Embiid just because, understand, he is, when healthy, probably the best center in the NBA, but the way the game has changed so much that centers have sort of become not an afterthought, but more of, they're at a less of a premium than what they were maybe 10 to 20 years ago. They're going to move on from Embiid, and I think a lot of teams are going to be interested in in him if he were to leave because I understand that I don't think a center is going to individually win you a championship, but a great center like him, maybe the best in the league, is going to be a great building piece to add to an already established team to help put maybe somebody over the top and make them a championship team. Next, Kyle Gregory asks, what are your thoughts on the upcoming NFL Town Draft and how do you think it will be with a change of scenery due to the ongoing pandemic? First off, nobody likes when you talk about your fantasy team. Second off, I could not be more excited for this destination draft that the NFL Town League is supposedly supposed to be having. Uh, Been doing this with the St. Albert Friends that I have since 7th grade, all the way through 7th and 8th grade, all the way through high school, 4 years of that, 4 years of college. It has been nothing short of a miracle that we have all still stayed together. It's one of the days that I look forward to most every year, getting to see all the old pals and everything. I think the change of scenery is going to promote a little bit more of beverage drinking. And I think that's going to really hurt some people come draft time. That's how I really think the whole destination thing is going to go. So I'm excited to see how people are going to be able to handle their liquor, handle their alcohol, and how that is going to ultimately affect the the draft itself. Our next question comes from Avery Roninelli, who asked, top five NBA players five years from now? I absolutely love this question. Thank you very much for sending it in. So, to start, I think you need to think about who's going to be in the league five years from now. Obviously, LeBron's probably going to be out. Um, Some of the bigger stars today are going to be in their twilight years of their career. So, it's going to be, you got to think about that. I definitely think Giannis is going to be right up there. I It's hard to think that Luka won't be up there as well. I think Anthony Davis, he's going to be in his early 30s at that point, and we've seen that LeBron with LeBron this year, who's, I mean, in his middle 30s, late 30s, whatever you want to call it, however you want to define 35, um, is still able to put up great numbers. So I think Anthony Davis also needs to be considered in that as well. Jason Tatum, if he continues to progress, he's only going to get obviously better, but his status in the league is only going to go higher and higher, so I'm big on that. If Zion can ever stay healthy and he can get some minute restrictions taken off, I really like him a lot. Donovan Mitchell seems to be taking a jump uh, these playoffs, and he's still fairly young. Um, Jamal Murray as well. I don't know if he's going to crack that top five, but again, the way he's progressing and the way he's running the offense for the Nuggets and scoring for them, he's going to be up there as well. I also would like to throw out the name Bronny Jr. Um, obviously a huge shoes to fill with his father, but if he is 
half the player that his dad was. He could be right up there once he's in the league. Um, I don't want to say Kawhi because he is sort of a bit older. Um, All the young talent that's going to be coming into the NBA within the next five years, it's extremely hard to judge. Trey Young, I like him a lot. If he can... It's not him. I think it's the team around him that needs work. Um, It's hard to get national attention as this great player when your team's not doing well. Yes, you could go out and score 26, 27 a night um, and be on a bad team, and it just will not matter because your team's not going to get as much coverage. So ultimately, I think at the end of the day, I'm not in no order, but sort of a very loose order, I would say... You're going to probably have Giannis, probably Anthony Davis, Luka, Zion. I want to say Pascal Siakam as well just because I enjoy what he's done over the last two years and has grown, but I'm not going to put him um, up there in the top five. I'll put Jason Tatum up there as well, so that would be um, my five best players in the next uh, five years. Continuing with Luca questions, we have one from Jack Newcomer, who before I even get into this, um, I would like to just give him a shout out. He had his first song come out that was um, through a recording label um, called Love You All The Time by Dr. Jax. It's on um, Spotify. Go out of your way, take a listen to it. It's a very upbeat, nice song. Thoroughly enjoyed it each time I have listened to it, so you might as well listen to it because why not? But... Jack Newcomer asks, how far can Luka take the Mavs this year, and where do you have them in the West pecking order next year? I am a little concerned for how far he can take them solely. I understand he balled out this last game without Porzingis because Porzingis has his knee troubles and whatnot, and they were still able to win, but that was, I think, partially because the supporting cast of the Mavs really stepped up, and it's going to be hard for them to do that consistently. If they were to continue to do that, um, I see no reason why they couldn't beat the Clippers. I do see them running into problems if they did have to face the Lakers down the road. But ultimately, I do still think that the Clippers are going to win this first series just because I think ultimately Kawhi and Paul George, regardless of how shitty he's played so far, he's going to have a game where he is regular Paul George. Maybe just drop the whole playoff P moniker. Like, just that persona, it's clearly not fucking working. Just drop it, move on, play your own game, and let the results slowly start coming in, and I believe the wins will start coming in. Um, Next year, though, with a fully healthy Porzingis, hopefully throughout the year, and with Luka with however little time or however much time they have in this offseason to just continue to grow his game. Um, I think Luka's going to be right there uh, with the MVP um, rankings next year in contention all year. And I think the Mavs are probably a top five team in the West if they can add some pieces and if Luka and Porzingis can continue to develop and work on their games and grow in this offseason. The next question <laughs> comes from Trent Revolette. Who asked, did Courtney Love kill Kurt Cobain? He follows up with, if that question is too hard to use, use this one instead. With all the turmoil going on in our country, who are you voting for in the presidential election and why? We're going to stick to sports here, kind of, on Carson Sack, so we are not going to touch that second question. 
And ultimately, did Courtney Love kill Kurt Cobain? I don't think so. But if you were to watch the documentary, it's called Soaked in Bleach. It used to be on Netflix. It isn't anymore. I'm not really sure where to find it. There are a lot of coincidences and a lot of evidence that really point to Miss Love being the murderer of Kurt Cobain. Not a suicide like previously reported. I, it, it, all these, this evidence does slip my mind at the moment. I'm not going to sit here and try and, um, bullshit my way through it. I do remember after watching the documentary being like, huh, that's, that's something. So I encourage you, if you have some time, you're into, um, I guess you want to say conspiracy theories or that type of music or that period of time in, uh, music, go out of your way called Soaked in Bleach, give it a watch, and let me know, did Courtney Love kill Kurt Cobain, or was it a suicide, like it has been reported? The next question we have on the mail sack this week comes from Jeff Prifty, who asks, what are your top five uniforms in college football? I've been heavy in this debate as of late. Excuse me. All right, so... Oregon's going to be in this, and I had to clarify with Jeff what he meant, and he strictly meant just the home and away jerseys for the team, because obviously if it was going to be the full catalog for a team in their uniforms, Oregon, I think, pretty much runs away with this one, but it's strictly what Jeff wants to know is home and away. Regardless, if you take out all their... um, alternative options that they have in their uniforms Oregon is still I think top five and I'm probably gonna say they're number one just because of the effort and time that Nike puts into them my number five is going to be Memphis I really enjoy it's sort of like the Oregon's where they have some stripes and whatnot on their shoulder pads and everything and I really enjoy when they get to do the black as well I don't believe that's one of their alternates I believe that's one of their um home pieces so I really enjoy that for them my number four bit of a homer pick doubt Jeff's gonna like this but I'm gonna go with Ohio State I think the scarlet and gray the the simplicity of it and then the helmet stickers the Buckeye Leafs just how iconic that is duh How could you not have that somewhere in there? My number three is going to be Hawaii. I really like what the Rainbow Warriors do. Um, The color scheme is great. The um, little details they have. I don't even know what you want to call them, but the stitching and patching they have um, with the green and the white around their uniforms. I'm just a big fan of that. And the H is very good. Number two, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with LSU. I just enjoy the color scheme a lot. The logo is very cool. The purple, the gold, the white, it all just pops. And then obviously, like I said, Oregon is going to be number one for me. The next question we have comes from Christina Brown, who asks, When can the fans expect another pick of that wagon? I ain't waiting till Christmas. Two things. She's referencing my Instagram posts from last Thursday. And if you don't understand the Christmas reference, it's because you don't get the snap. And if you don't get the snap, there's a reason you don't get the snap. Um, I don't know, Tina, if 
if the gram's hungry enough, I'll feed it. If you're in the market, let me know. I can get back to you. Next, we have a question from Bailey, Trent's girlfriend. I forgot how to pronounce her last name, and I didn't text Trent, and I am already in the middle of recording this to go look up how to say it. So, Bailey, Trent's girlfriend, asks, If you win gold in this Olympic sport, you are considered the most athletic person. What sport would that be? This really only comes down to a few things. Golf, I, I don't think... It is just recently a Olympic sport, but I don't think it's going to make you the most athletic. I think it comes down to one of the track events, either swimming or the gymnastics. I'm going to take out... I'm going to take out track. That just means you're fast. That necessarily doesn't mean you're athletic. I know a couple fast guys that aren't athletic. I'm going to say swimming is going to be the most athletic. And I know that's like probably not like the popular answer, if there even is a popular answer for this. Um, I just think swimming, you're using so much of your body, so many different parts and muscles that if you're going to be good at that, you're probably going to have enough strength and coordination and whatnot to be able to be athletic in other sports, that that would be the most athletic sport that you could win at next we have michael bennett who asks who is going to be the best sleeper in fantasy well i'm glad you asked nick chubb is going to be a hell of a sleeper for running back i understand he's not a sleeper because he's a first round borderline pick but when you think running backs for fantasy i imagine your minds go to mccaffrey they go to barkley might even go to alvin Kamara. um before they go to Nick Chubb, but Nick Chubb is going to be right up there. Quarterback-wise, I think Drew Locke is going to have a pretty solid year. A lot of people are on the Dak Prescott train. I'm not saying he's a sleeper. I mean, he's, I think, like the fifth best player, according to Matt Barry's rankings and everything. He's probably due for a good year with the weapons they've added um, in the wide receiving core. Running backs, I like Obviously, as I said, Nick Chubb. I also enjoy Todd Gurley in Atlanta. I'm going to also look at James Conner to have a rebound year in Pittsburgh with the return of Ben Roethlisberger. I think he's going to have a bounce back year because the Steelers aren't going to be down consistently like they were and they're not going to have to throw the ball as much. And Ben just working back the offense, providing a second dynamic to the offense is going to open up running lanes for James Conner. Um, receiving wise, I like Josh Reynolds out in LA for the Rams with the loss of Brandon Cooks. Um, the second spot opens up behind Robert Woods and Josh Reynolds really impressed me um, in the op- in the time he was able to have last year. I think John Ross coming off his injury with the addition of Joe Burrow um, and how he was able to be used in Zach Taylor's offense last year. I think that's going to be a big thing. Michael Gallup is going to continuously fly under the radar, but he's going to be a top 20 receiver all year probably, Um, so I like him a lot. Tight ends, I'm going to go with Hurst down in Atlanta. I like his situation. Matt Ryan likes to use the tight ends a lot. Hurst was sort sort of the forgotten, overshadowed guy in Baltimore with Mark Andrews and what he was able to do last year. I also like Gronkowski coming back from his one-year retirement. The year off, re 
rehab your body, work on some injuries. He looks pretty lean. He's going to need to add a little bit more weight, but I Tom Brady and Gronkowski, it's like peanut butter and jelly. They just go together, they work, and they're going to put up big numbers. Then Michael Bennett, after that question, he follows up with, who would win in a one-on-one basketball game between you and Andrew Crum? I would. It would be close. Andrew Crum is definitely a better ball handler than me. Probably a better shooter, but Crum is known for his catch-and-shoot abilities. Unfortunately, in one-on-one games, there's not another teammate, not another guy to pass the ball to you. So I'm a little concerned for Crum about how his pull-up game for getting his own shot is going to work. I think I can just back him down consistently. I'm assuming we're going to play to 11. I can probably knock in one or two threes, so that's going to get me to four. I can probably hit one jumper that gets me to five, and then I'm going to back him down and use my plethora of post moves on him to get my other six points. I could see it probably being like 11 to 8, 11, 10, somewhere in there. Uh, well, you got to win by two, so 12 to 10, somewhere in there. Crumbs. Certainly nothing to scoff at when it comes to the basketball court whatsoever. Um, Has known to hit a few corner threes in his lifetime when he's getting hot. Um, So I win, but it's close and it's entertaining. Next, we have a question from Tanner Justin who asks, If Luca is a bitch-ass white boy, what does that make me when I drop 6, 8, and 2 in intramurals? Um, That makes you the average college student that plays intramural basketball um there's probably a lot of hustle shown on your part tj so i think that's going to really that's what's going to shine the most not the stat line but what you're doing that's not going to show up in the stat line that's what people are really going to be talking about and remember you for uh, the next question and the last question comes from uh, Ben Kleinkrod who asks, who's worse, Bryson or Reed? I think that worse is going to be Reed just because you go back and look at his history in college, stealing apparently um, items from his college teammates while he was at Georgia and having to go to Georgia State and everything like that, and then getting caught cheating during an actual tournament. Bryson, what he does with his scientific stuff and with rules officials and things like that, it's annoying, but he's never tried to manipulate any of the rules when he's called in people for vice. I understand you might think at um, back to Memorial when he was asking about the fence situation and his ball under it. You could think maybe he's trying to manipulate that, but he's never just blatantly, one, stole from people, and two, um, just blatantly broke a rule that everybody knows. And I don't know if when Reed did that in the sand, if he thought nobody saw him or what, why he thought he could get away with it. But Bryson, yes, has his annoying tendencies, but I believe at his core, he really just wants to win and is going to do whatever within the rules he can do to do that whether it's adding the weight that he did for distance, whether it's looking into rules that can maybe have loopholes or whatnot. But Patrick Reed cheating and stealing from teammates in his past, I'm and his wife's super fucking annoying. That shouldn't really play into it, but that plays a big part into it for me. Um, but Bryson also, this week, I don't know what the fuck he was doing on Instagram and Twitter or whatever, posting that thing at Olympic Field saying that, 
tiger or whatever, the dog, the golden retriever that is like part of the maintenance crew or however it is, helped him win the USAM in 2015. Apparently the dog wasn't even born then. The dog was born in like 2018 and Bryson won in 2015 USAM. So like, I don't know what the fuck he's doing. That's pretty bad on his look. The more I keep talking about this and everything, the more I think like, hey, maybe it is Bryson. So I'm going to stop because I want to stick with my original answer because I do like Bryson more than Patrick Reed unless it's a Ryder Cup year. But they're both kind of shitty in their own special ways. It's whichever you can tolerate more, really. And I can tolerate Bryson more than I can tolerate Reed. That does it for the mail sack this week. One thing that I did realize is I never plug my Instagram where I post stories to the my followers that will send them in. So if you want to be your question answered on Carson Sack, all you need to do is give me a follow on Instagram at I underscore could underscore Karis. Um, it's supposed to be a play on words like I could care less, but I could Karis. Um, yeah, that was the thing to do back in high school is make a little catchy Instagram name with your real name. So that's what I came up with. I hope you like it. So thank you again, once again, to all the listeners that sent questions in. It is greatly appreciated. And that, that segment is not possible without you all. So thank you very much. Want to move on now to college football. A lot has happened since the last time we talked. The big, big one, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are going to potentially, right now it seems like, aim for a season to happen in the spring, leaving the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC as the three out of the five Power 5 conferences to be playing in the fall. The AP poll released a top 25 for the upcoming year. Um, it was released today, August 24th. Uh, just to rattle off the top 10 here, Clemson's number one, Ohio State's number two, Alabama's number three, Georgia's number four, Oklahoma's number five, LSU is six, Penn State is seven, Florida is eight, Oregon's nine, and Notre Dame is 10. There's one, two, Three. Three out of the top ten. So 30% of the top ten isn't even going to be eligible to do anything in the fall. So the AP is more than likely going to revamp this ranking system, I'm assuming. I'm not going to really give a breakdown because I don't want to get into a season preview or anything like that for any of these teams because that's going to be on for a later episode. Um, Just some quick teams that jump out to me. Georgia at four. Florida at 8, moving on down, Um, Texas A&M at 13, Auburn sitting at 11, I like that a lot, Cincinnati is at 20, Um, and then Tennessee is going to have a pretty good year, Um, I know a shit ton of those were SEC, but whatever, the preview for the college football season is going to come down later on the line, it's wild, but there's going to be college football played not this Thursday, but the next Thursday. Um, it's sort of a revamped Week Zero type thing. Um, I'm not going to say there's not any good teams, but more under-the-radar, um, mid-major type teams. But it's still college football. We're still in a global pandemic, sort of. It's kind of just a national one now because of the USA. I'm not. We're staying away. Stick to sports. Um, but... 
it blows my mind that college football is going to actually be played um, between two teams real realistically um, in about 13 days. Uh, that's wild. Absolutely wild. Um, just to, I don't, like I said, I don't want to get into previews, but just to recap the Big Ten news, really, because that's where I've been following more and more because I am an Ohio State fan. I like to pay attention to that, obviously. I think it's absolutely insane what the Big Ten did, um, their commissioner, Warren, with just the lack of transparency and the issues that they had with getting the votes from the school's presidents, um, families and players not having any real say in if the team was going to play, if they wanted their sons to show up and play. Um, a lot of families are saying that they feel that their team, their children are a lot safer with the team as a team in their own little bubble because they're um, getting testing, they're held accountable, they're on a schedule, they're kept together, things like that. I 100% agree. Um, just in Ohio State's case and Penn State's case, uh, they're going to allow high school football to happen, which I understand is still going to have regulations and things like that, and they're going to do their part and hopefully um, take the precautions they need with protocols. But... How can you have that be the case and then have just one step above with football and it being college, not have an Ohio State or a Penn State team be able to play in their home state or anything? Um, it's this whole split where three of the five Power Fives are going to be playing and two of them aren't. It's going to put a whole just question mark, asterisk, everything. I love the idea of sort of, it's not year-round football, but it's, Instead of having just one season, two seasons, theoretically, in the fall and the spring, I, I don't love that there's going to be two seasons. I am glad there's going to be football on more weeks out of the year. There's That's a good thing, but for what it means financially, what it means um, in the grand scheme of things when it comes to crowning a national champion and just quality of games and out-of-conference games that could have happened, um, it's very upsetting it's hard as an Ohio State fan, a Big Ten conference fan, if you even want to say that, um, to just see the terrible leadership and lack of transparency and lack of communication that happened between the commissioner of the Big Ten and the presidents and the universities in the Big Ten. So that's my college football shit. We're going to move on because I there's really nothing else to talk about in that. We're going to talk a little NBA, and then we're going to wrap up this episode of Carson Sack. Um, the NBA right now, it's this is being recorded on August 25th, which is a Tuesday. And right now, the Jazz are up 3-1 on the Nuggets. And I did not think that was going to happen. Donovan Mitchell has come out and been the best player, I think, in the bubble. He's posted 50 plus games in this series already. Um, the Nuggets have a lot of firepower on offense, but the Jazz have just been able, with Mitchell and the rest of their team, to stay right there with them and stay steady. So I could see the Nuggets right now. They're down by nine in the third quarter. I'm not going to give a prediction for this game, but it's hard for me to see the Nuggets to fight back 3-1 in this one. It looks like the Jazz are going to move on. The next um, game that's going to be happening tonight is the Mavericks and the Clippers. 
series and that is tied up 2-2 as I mentioned already in the mail sack segment love Luca love what he's doing but he's still a little banged up and if they don't get Porzingis back um, I do not foresee them being able to have the bench production and the role players step up consistently enough for them to beat the Clippers I have the Clippers sadly moving on past the uh, Mavericks the next series 3-1 as well in the West game five is tomorrow on Wednesday um, today probably when you're listening to it the Trailblazers and the Lakers I'm going to talk about this very calmly as best as I can it was it was idiotic it was um, slanderous it was so dumb to think that the Blazers were going to be able to beat the Lakers. I sat here and watched and listened to television shows and radio shows and podcasts overanalyze every little struggle the Lakers had and hype up and gas up every little good thing that Damian Lillard and the rest of the Blazers do. I don't even dislike Damian Lillard. I like Damian Lillard. He's one of the best point guards in the NBA. Maybe one of the best scorers in the NBA as well. But after game one, when the Trailblazers, who come out with intensity in most games, and especially when they're going to need it in this series to come out and sort of punch the Lakers in the mouth and take control of game one, when they win that game and everybody is just selling Lakers stock, just, I wanted to buy it all, just give it to me, because I didn't think there was a single chance in hell that there was going to be any way that the Blazers could piece together four games and in this series for them to win. And it's proven, and you saw in Game 4, the Lakers came out and dominated. I understand Dame is dealing with injuries. His finger and now his knee, he's not going to play in Game 5 as well. It seems like the fat lady is tuning up and ready to sing. The Lakers are going to move on. Again, I I don't dislike Portland. I like Damian Lillard. But to just have to sit and listen to people talk about how the Lakers were just going to get upset and everything. It didn't It didn't make me mad. It just really opened my eyes and I guess my ears as well to who I should be listening to because some people just have no fucking idea really what they're talking about. And you might be able to say, oh, hey, Carson, you tweeted like, oh, I don't know where the panic button is. I just want to know after game one. Yeah, I wanted to just know where it was so I could say, hey, they're... There it is. No need to touch you because I knew the shooting slump for KCP wasn't going to last. I knew LeBron, even though he had a triple-double in Game 1, was going to get help from the rest of his supporting cast, which he has. Anthony Davis is playing like he's the best player on the court. Most of the time he is. It's Lakers in 5, move on. Uh, another Game 5 in the East, you have the Bucks and the Magic. Um, Magic were able to steal Game 1 in this series and not have been able to do much since. I think the Bucks are going to win that. And then, really what's been the best series in Round 1, you have the Thunder and the Rockets. That, game, that series is tied up, excuse me, 2-2. Both of these last two games in that series have been pretty close. Um, I just still, I'm going to ride with... James Harden and his scoring ability, and you live by the three, die by the three for Houston. Um, they're going to get hot here in one of these next couple games, and they're going to win. Um, I don't think the Rockets are going to be too keen to rush back. Um, What's-his-face? To rush back 
Russell Westbrook, but if there did happen to maybe be a Game 7 and you get maybe 18 to 20 minutes out of him, if he was good enough to do that, um, I think that would help a lot and get them the series victory, but ultimately I'm still sticking with the Rockets. And then the only second-round matchup we have that's set so far, which I think this has the potential if... The Bucks make the Eastern Conference Finals, and then I imagine one of these teams is going to as well, obviously. It's gonna, it has to happen because it's a semifinal. But I think that could maybe be the best series. But so far in this, I think this is going to be the best series and maybe has the chance to be the best series of the entire playoffs. The Celtics and the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Semifinals. I'm going to stick with the Celtics, but I think it's going 7 Um I think this is really time for Jason Tatum to obviously show um, what he is as a player and just take over and have big moments. Um, but Kyle Lowry, um, Siakam, Serge Ibaka, Van Vliet for Toronto. they And their bench as well. Their bench almost scored 100 points on their own against the uh, Nets the other night. So it's going to be a great series. I'm looking forward to it. But I do think the Celtics ultimately end up beating the Raptors, and moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. All right, that is going to do it for episode 71 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. As I mentioned, it was going to be a shorter one. I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless, no matter how short it was. Once again, thank you to all the listeners that sent in questions for the mail sack. Follow me on Instagram at I under, underscore could underscore Karis. Sign up for Thrive Fantasy as well. You deposit $20. You use my code SACK, all capitals, S-A-C-K. You get a $20 instant bonus. They've got daily fantasy matchups for NBA. They're going to have it for the NFL. They have it for the MLB. Esports, if you're into that sort of thing, if that's your jam, and PGA Tour. So sign up again on Thrive Sports Fantasy app. Look that up in the iTunes Store, the Apple Store, or Google Play. Thank you for once again joining me on episode 71 of Carson Sack Podcast. Like, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as we always end here on the sack, we will be see. Had a Clippers game on the court side. Watch a nigga shoot like a four five. They mad at me too. I got more fire. Why these bitches see you? Go home, Rod. Go home, Rod. Tears to Mary in my bed. I'm a smart guy. I ain't fucking with you niggas like a part time. Nah. Summer, let's check my archive. I'm something so immaculate instead of asking what's happening. Rather blast a Jackson 5 in the back of an Acura acting blacker than the Bernie Mac to Charlie Murphy's and Akon. The girls that you brought, man, where are they from? Where are they from? We-